unique podcast taking you behind the badge. Unbelievable stories exploring the day in the life of a first responder. 911 is made possible by Carlos Bail Bonding and Eric Buchanan and Associates, fighting for those who have been denied disability, life, long-term care, and health benefits nationwide. Now, here's your host, DeMarlin Dean. Welcome to 911. Thank you so much for listening today. We have something pretty cool, pretty cool today. I think my guest today has probably the most varied background of anybody I've interviewed. So I don't know if that means this guy's just super, super valuable or he just can't keep a job. I don't know. We'll find out and we'll talk about that a little bit. But he is an English teacher, was an English teacher in the Ukraine. But it's aside from as well as some other uh, countries and all that kind of stuff, we can talk about that. But he also taught tactics and techniques. He was at, with the African Contingency Operations Training Assistance, an instructor there. He was a military contractor in Iraq, worked with FEMA, the Indiana National Guard. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. You know, he was a jail, you know, worked in a jail at some point and also was a like a reserve officer. And not to mention his service to our country. He served in both the Navy and the Army. So this guy just couldn't get enough of the action no matter where he was. And my guest today is none other than Scott Haddix. Scott, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, better than I deserve, as uh, uh, Ramsey likes to say. Dave better Ramsey, that's right. Aren't we all better, <laughs> better than we deserve? And I found out we're actually kind of kind of neighbors. You're just about 100, 100 miles or so up the road from me. So welcome, neighbor. All right. <laughs> So I'll tell you, you know, I just went through this list of things that you've done. And I I didn't even mention the Arizona Rangers, which I didn't even really know what that was. So we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Right. But you just introduce yourself, how you like to be known and what you want people to know about Mr. Scott Haddock. Wow. How do I want to be known? Well, yeah, I guess uh, my most recent and prestigious title would be Arizona Ranger. Uh, but I, I left them. Uh, when I moved to Tennessee in uh, in June, so uh, but yeah, uh, I've retired military, medically retired. Um, uh, have a have a background in law enforcement. I've uh, worked overseas, countless places, countless times. I've been to Africa, been to uh, Uganda, uh, Rwanda, Nigeria, Djibouti, uh, so in the Congo. That was that's that was a story all in itself. But, <laughs> um, so, yeah. And and after uh, the Russians first went to uh, Ukraine, went, when they took Crimea, I, uh, I went over uh, there and I taught English. But I spent I took two trips down to uh, Mariupol and uh, and tried to teach some of the Ukrainians some uh, tactics, ta tactics, techniques, and procedures, because they were losing guys. I had a guy in my English class. His son was shot in the head uh, and killed uh, while running a checkpoint. They didn't know how to – well, I'll say this. They were running checkpoints, but I, they weren't running them very well because they had no outer security for their checkpoints. So a sniper could just come up on a checkpoint 
you know, and stay inside the wood line and and snipe at everybody in the check and the checkpoint. So, like wow. I said, I had a student that lost his son, and his wife called him right in the middle of class. That was, yeah, that was an experience to say the least. But yeah, yeah I, I went I down there. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I did not realize that you were, you know, you were in Kyiv that recently. I thought this was a long time ago. I didn't realize you were there doing no. this, this last, you know, invasion I, from Russia. No, I got, well, I got there in September, 2015 and I left in April of 2016. So. Oh, okay. Okay. I gotcha. I so gotcha. it was when they took Crimea, the first, the, if you will, the initial invasion, not this ah, most recent one. Gotcha. Uh, Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's uh, and we can get your thoughts on this most recent one if you like. But, you know, I like to kind of stay away from politics. This is bigger than politics. So this is just craziness. But, man, let's just go ahead and start with the Arizona Rangers. What what is what is that? When I see that, I just think of a bunch of guys on horses. What are the Arizona Rangers? The Arizona Rangers. Well, like I told you, uh, they started back before when uh, Arizona was just a territory. And as you know, we have 48 continental states. And the last of the states to join before Hawaii and, and Alaska was Arizona. And there's a reason for that. And that was okay. because there was a lot of problems. I mean, Hatfields and McCoys are nothing. I mean, and that's that's local because that's you know, that's Kentucky and we're in Tennessee. But if you look at if if, if you do if you dive in and do some of the research uh, of what what was going on in Arizona at the turn of the century, uh, early nineteen hundreds the uh, the grazing wars, uh, the sheep were, uh, you know, grazing and they said, figured, oh, I'd kill some sheep because his sheep were grazing on my land. And then it escalated, obviously, from sheep to the guy who was in charge of the sheep. And there were some serious feuds that went on there. So they, they wanted, uh, McKinley wanted uh, the Arizona to become a state. And uh, so he talked to the the uh, territory governor there and uh, formed the Arizona Rangers. And the Arizona Rangers got crime under control uh, there uh, as much as possible. And mm-hmm. uh, then they, uh, they became a state. And they dissolved the Arizona Rangers uh, at, at about the same time. They said, we no longer need them because we've obviously, you know, incorporated statehood. And um, we uh, we have state troopers now, or what later became state troopers. So mm-hmm. they got rid of the Arizona Rangers. Then in 1957, there was a former, there was one of the original Arizona Rangers still left, and uh, they started it up again. So what it is now, what we do now is we back up uh, local and state law enforcement in the state of Arizona as, as strictly as volunteers. Uh, so we're a 501c3. Uh, uh, charity, and we go around. There's 22 uh, chapters, 22 companies in the state, so all over the state. It's from the north, from uh, up, way up north, uh, Prescott uh, or uh, Flagstaff, all mm-hmm. the way down to uh, the the Mexican border. And there have been a couple of guys who've helped out on the border that uh, you know they've needed help. They've the the uh, uh, the uh, Governor has uh, activated some of the National Guard for some of the border work, and uh, and the Rangers have helped out there as well. Do you have arrest powers? Yes, yes. And the thing is, is the way it works is that um, our our arrest powers are the agency that we're working with. So okay. if we're working with the uh, state troopers, we have arrest powers under the state under the state troopers. If we're working for Sholo or Phoenix or 
and any other city, then we have the arrest powers based upon uh, their jurisdiction. Okay. So, that makes yeah. sense. Now, so you're armed. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We, we have to qualify. And you, you cannot, if you don't qualify, I mean, you'll get a, you'll get a retake and stuff like that under your pistol qualifications. But uh, if you can't stay qualified on your weapon, then you can't stay in Arizona Ranger. You have to follow Arizona Post Police Officer Standard Trainings. You have to uh, qualify at the same as any other Arizona law enforcement officer. So let me get this straight. You are you have arrest powers and you work under the jurisdiction of whoever you happen to be partnering with at the time. Correct. You're armed. Yes. In uniform. Yes. And you're working for free. Yeah. No. Everybody listens to this podcast knows I don't do anything for free. You're not going to be shooting at me and I'm not at least getting paid for it. Well, you know, uh, I'm just kidding. We, we do a lot of, I mean, most of our work, it, well, like I said, we are a 501c3, and uh, I keep yeah, saying Yeah, but that bullet I, doesn't we, care. True, very true. <laughs> now, here's here's the crazy part. We do a lot of church, uh, and I know we did um, we did this Romanian church, and that was in uniform. Huh. That wasn't a big deal. But we did a church right downtown, I mean, the center of Phoenix at 1300 Main Street. So, I mean, we're talking right downtown across the street from the uh, the public library. And it was frequented, the public library was frequented by homeless people. Right. And so you can imagine the crowd that would come in. You know, it, it's, it was, it was uh, New City Church was the, the church, New City Church. And we used to work there, but they didn't want a uniformed presence. Uh, for obvious reasons, because of the homeless people. But uh, so we were that plain clothes. So I I used to have to have it handy. I used to wear this underneath, you know, (laughs) underneath my uh, my uh, my shirt. So that, uh, yeah. But so for I those was, of you that are listening and not watching, he just pulled out a star. <laughs> the gold star looks like a sheriff's badge of, of, some, yeah. of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, yeah we, we were playing clothes. We had to have, I mean, we had a standard. We all had radios, obviously. Um, we had to have our weapon, uh, two magazines, and, and you know, either um, – uh, CS gas or, or uh, uh, baton, one of the two. You either had okay. one or the other. Okay. So I'm going to go down this that. list of assignments that you've had over the years, and I want you to think about what was your most enjoyable or or which which assignment did you enjoy the most? So you've got the Rangers, the Arizona Rangers, of course, the English teacher in Kaiv. Akata, which was the African Contingency Operations and Training Assistance. You were an instructor there. The military contractor, the FEMA security post, Indiana Army National Guard in the infantry, the Indiana Department of Corrections. You were on the CERT team there. Um, let's see, the strike security around the country and a private investigator. You're with the Pittsfield Township Department of Public Safety, which is essentially a police officer there. And then, of course, your time in the Navy. I think you said 12 years maybe in the Navy and what, four years in the Army? Eight years, eight years, eight years, and years. So twenty years all together. So all of those various assignments that you've had, you know, thinking of the deployments, all the places around the world that you've been, which is the one that you really, really enjoyed the most? It it was probably a coda. It was the uh, seven years I did uh, doing uh, going around at different African countries and training soldiers there. So what what did you what did you enjoy the most about that? Wow. 
um, I guess because I felt that, you know, you had that comfort feeling, that feeling that, you know, I know this stuff. I can mm-hmm. teach this stuff. I've been doing this for long enough. I know this stuff. So I felt very comfortable doing it. Um, and and the thing was, is they were going on peacekeeping missions. Like um, like in Nigeria, we were sending them to Darfur. And uh, or I wasn't sending them. We weren't sending them. Their government, <laughs> the African Union, was sending them to Darfur. And they they really wanted our training because they had received – well, probably not the best training thus far. And they knew that Americans, we had, you know, most of us had seen combat. We'd been in wars. We'd, we, knew, we knew what we were doing. And they had such confidence in us. It was overwhelming. They were so happy to see us. They were so glad to get the training. And I tell you, I mean, I, I teach school now. I, I, I do uh uh, and I, my students are in Arizona, which is kind of funny, but, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I online school and, um, uh, the, the attention that those soldiers, I get, I, not a, you could hear a pin drop. I mean, they, they listened so well. And, um, in Uganda, when, uh, I got done teaching a class, they used to go, Asante sana. And clap like that, you know, pound on the desk and clap. And essentially, it just means thank you. It's the same thing as mucho gracias. It was thank you very much. I was going to say Asante. I thought, I thought that yeah. meant uh, thank you. Yeah. So I do Asante. remember a little bit of Swahili or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, they were so – because they knew that what I was teaching them might be able to save their lives. So they were – I mean, they were listening. They were all in. I mean, you want to talk about – And I got spoiled because now, I mean, the kids, when you, when you teach kids in a classroom now, they could sometimes just give, they they wouldn't care anything about what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Which brings me to this. So you've been all around the world. You've been so many different places. And I think one of the, um, one of the problems I feel like with people that are here in America, born and raised here in America haven't really and they haven't really explored been anywhere else they think we have it all right everything that we're doing basically is just the greatest every place else in the world kind of sucks <laughs> what would you tell people what would what would they be surprised to learn or to find if they were plucked out of the middle of their you know big city or whatever and dropped in the middle of one of these places in Africa or any or anywhere else in the world that you've been to, what would, what, what would you think the biggest surprise would be? Uh, probably the toilets. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When, when, uh, you, when you stop at a gas station in say, uh, the middle of Jordan and, uh, you ask where the restroom is and he shows it to you and it's, uh, it, you open a door and there's a hole in the floor and that's it. It's just a hole in the floor. And, and so, yeah, luckily, luckily I just had to go number one, but uh, there are so many people that, you know, I mean, the hotel I stayed at one of the, or uh, quite a few times in, uh, they went from holes in the floor to, uh, to, they actually got commodes, but uh, they had holes in the floor to begin with. And, uh, and I was on the third floor. And, and wow. I just I just took one of those plastic cheap you know lawn chairs that you can buy at the like dollar store almost and uh, because they had them sitting around and I just took my knife and cut a hole in it so I made my own <laughs> commode 
but yeah, I think I think a lot of people are just would be shocked and surprised. And and the thing is, and this happened in Iraq when I was a contractor. You know, people get so used to squatting when they use the bathroom, they, they couldn't figure out why they were breaking the toilet seats. And they were breaking hmm. the toilet seats because they were standing on the toilet. They were sitting down on them like a seat. They were standing <laughs> on them and squatting because that's the only way they've ever known to, to go on. So why are they standing on the toilet seats? It's because they don't know any better because nobody's <laughs> ever taught them. So, uh, Well, thanks a lot, Scott. Now everybody listens to podcasts. Well, see, I was right. America has everything right and everybody else is idiots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so what would you say your scariest, you know, all these various assignments, what, what, what was the place? What was the one that was the scariest for you? Hmm. Well, two things come to my mind. Uh, one was, uh, Back in the 80s, when the uh, USS Vincennes shot down the Iranian airliner on the 3rd of July, 1988, um, I was in Bahrain at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. The ship uh, was on a wooden minesweeper. And uh, so they came and gar- grabbed all of us off the street. They just went around. They just sent, us, sent uh, some guys who had duty. They sent them around to the different marketplaces, the souks. And uh, they gathered us all up. They said, come on, you got to get back to the ship. Got to get back to the ship. So we all got back to the ship. And it was probably about, by the time everybody got back on board and they accounted for everyone, it was probably about 10 o'clock at night. Uh, but then we pulled out right away. Uh, darkness at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that would have been like 3rd or 4th July. And uh, a week later, uh, why we sailed to Farsi Island which is, you have to, I guess, if you know, Farsi Island is a little island off the coast of Iran. And uh, probably you don't want to be any close to Iran, seeing as how uh, one of your naval ships just shot down uh, an airliner with a bunch of civilians with like 200 some civilians on board. You probably don't want to be anywhere near the coast. So anyways, <laughs> um, we don't, being a wooden ship, we don't have, we didn't have a lot of the sophisticated uh, weapon systems uh, but not too far away, and we could see off on the horizon, it was, wasn't even that far, uh, was the USS Dubuque, uh, which was a ship, and they had a pretty sophisticated weapon system. And all of a sudden, <laughs> they called us and said, oh, by the way, two Silkworm missiles are coming right at you. What? <laughs> yeah. This was the 10th of July, 1988. Two Silkworm missiles were coming right at you. So I happened to be, at the time, I was the repair locker leader for repairs, uh, repair lo- uh, locker two, which was essentially in the center of the ship. So they told me, disperse fore and aft and, and get, basically get out of the middle of the ship. And they mm-hmm. turned off their radar. And uh, so we basically, I sent half to the front of the ship and half to the back of the ship. And uh, we all hunkered down and... They went right overhead. So, man. But yeah, if a Silkworm missile would have hit a wooden ship that's 173 feet long and 36 feet wide, it wouldn't have been been a lot of toothpicks, and that'd have been about it. Man, well, what would um? I I don't know anything about the the tactical side of things like that, especially on a ship. What does having people go to the to the um, front and rear? What does that do? Well, the the thing was, the Silkworms were tracking on our radar, and they had. They told us to turn the radar off. So if it was going to hit, it was going to hit our radar mast. And that's what it was going to target. And, of course, the radar mast is closest to the center of the ship. So they would send us 
as you know, they would increase our chance of survival, if you will. And it's that's going to have a big get, hole in it. You're going to sink anyway. <laughs> well, it was it was a wooden ship. It was only 173 feet long. So I mean, it would per, pretty much this uh, silkworm would have destroyed us. Yeah, I it mean, just would have just say, blow, blown it to pieces anyway. Exactly. And I yeah. just I know I mean, well, I kept thinking, you know, as long as I can stay conscious, if, as long as I hit the water and I stay conscious, I can tread water all night. I know I could. Yeah. So. Man, that's some that's some that's some crazy stuff. Some yeah. crazy stuff. All right. So now you have a lot to choose from when we talk about funny calls and different things like <laughs> that. Uh, because you've you've done so many, so many different things. But when you think about funny situations that you've been in and you're like, Wow, I can't believe that happened, or uh, you know, that was just really crazy. Uh, what what types of things or calls come to mind for you? The, the the main one that comes to my mind is the uh, when I was at Pittsfield Township as a reserve officer, and we got mm-hmm. a call of armed robbery, and uh, it was in an apartment complex. And I was like, armed robbery at an apartment complex? And he said, yeah. So we went up there, and a uh, couple of guys, a couple of dudes mm-hmm. in their apartment, and uh, we said, so what happened? They said, we opened the door, and they had a gun, and they said, give us all your money. And give us all your weed. <laughs> so, so I was like, so you guys were dealing weed out of this apartment? They said, yeah. And, <laughs> so I was like, let me write that down. And uh, so they said, uh, yeah, you, you stole all our weed and all our money. And uh, so we had to hang out and they called for the sergeant. The sergeant came and they did all the forensic stuff. And, yeah. and the, the sergeant came and I said, so, sergeant, I said, so, you know, we get the money, you know, if we, if we catch the guys, give the money. And I said, they get it back, I'm sure. I said, but the weed, I said, does that go in the evidence room or the property room? <laughs> yeah, she, just kinda, she just kind of looked at me like, I can't believe you just asked that question. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you get charged? I mean, I mean, that's actually a fair question. Like, you exactly. know, when you, when you even admit it to your Dylan weed, do you, you know, there's, there's multiple crimes there. It, it was right. a crime to, to, they were the victims of the crime, but they were also committing right. a crime. Right. So it's not unreasonable to think that they may get charged as well. The other thing, uh, and it also had to do with when I was, uh, if you will, a sworn officer in the state of Michigan. Um, I, it, you could see that I worked for a, a private investigation company, mm-hmm. and one of the one of the guys that also helped out was a um, a sergeant for a police department that no longer exists. And it was right there on Eight Mile, and everybody knows where Eight Mile is because of M&M, right? Right. Uh, but if once you cross to the north side of Eight Mile, you're into Oakland County. You leave Wayne County, and you go into Oakland County. Well, you had a little tiny place there called Royal Oak Township. And mm-hmm. Keith Newton, Sergeant Keith Newton, was uh, he ran the narcotics department uh, in uh, in Royal Oak Township. It's, it's no longer exists. The Oakland County Sheriff's Department has absorbed it. So there's no longer a department there. But back then, I mean, it was all HUD housing. So it was basically, it was the hood, the whole place, the whole township was the hood. Mm-hmm. And you had drugs, just crazy. And uh, so where are where all the drugs coming from? Well, they were coming from Detroit. Well, they had an, an agreement with the city of Detroit that as long as they had a uniformed officer with them, that they could uh, do 
crack houses. Of course, this was this was prior to the day, you know, this <laughs> old school, right? So we're mm-hmm. talking crack. We're not talking meth, right? We're talking crack. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so this is the olden days. And so they said, yeah, you can go and uh, and take down a crack house as long as you've got a Detroit uniform with you. So uh, we got a. We're going to do this one. I got. They asked me. They said you're a sworn officer. I said yeah. So they they basically gave me a raid vest and a and a helmet and and uh, you should have seen the raid van. The raid van for Royal Oak Township in the early '90s was an old National Guard ambulance that was spray painted <laughs> black. That's that's inconspicuous, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> so we we got this call that uh, it's on the on the upper west side of Detroit. So it's almost on the on the border of South is the city of Southfield, mm-hmm. and um, so we've got confirmed buying that he's he was able to buy crack at this house. So you're going to take down his house? I said okay. So we go there and they, and they said now be careful because. Uh, we may get some miners. Uh, they have a report that there were some miners involved. And and everybody, pretty much when we take down a crack house, we would uh, process them, print them stuff, and uh, let them go on a PR bond, personal mm-hmm. recognizance, right, with notice yeah. to appear. You right. have to appear at this date. So you can't do that with miners. You can't. Guess what you got to do? You got to call mommy and dad. Call mom and dad, yep. And mommy and daddy's got to come and get them. So we're on the west side. Uh, almost in Southfield. And um, so we, we take down the crack house and we're in the house and uh, the customers keep coming up. But guess what they are? <laughs> they're they're suburban rich kids coming to buy weed. Oh, suburban man. rich kids coming to buy weed. So so uh, Sergeant Newton's got to call all these parents, you know, give me your parents. number. So then here we are on the west side of Detroit. Right. And all these Cadillac Escalades and uh, Acuras are coming down the street. I mean, fa- nice cars, some really yeah, Range yeah. Rovers and stuff. And they're coming down like, what kind of, you know, and it was it was so funny to see all these hoopties parked on the side of the road and to see this Cadillac Escalade or this Range Rover come rolling down the street, coming to get Junior because he tried to buy some weed on the west side of Detroit. Oh, it man. Was, it was hysterical. That can't be right. Wait a minute. I, I thought the only people that used drugs were just, you know, minorities oh, and lower class people. No, sure, surely not. Sure, you don't have rich kids, you know, coming oh, in using mom and daddy's mom, money buying weed. No way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Now, how much time did you spend in um, Africa? Well, off and on because it was on contracts, basically. Okay. Um, so they would have a, the state department would get a contract. And it's funny that it went through, I thought it was funny that it went through the state department, uh, because basically our main motivation was, is they didn't want another Black Hawk down. They didn't yeah. want U.S. soldiers going to do a peacekeeping mission in Africa when you had African troops there. They just needed to be trained. So that was the whole premise of ACODA. And it's still in existence to this day. Uh, they also have another program called AFRICAP. But, uh, so, so from February of 2008 till uh, December of 2014, yeah, and uh, so, so yeah, seven, seven years, only eight years, almost eight, yeah, seven years, and uh, so a contract. So, I mean, I would go, and there were times when I went to Nigeria, 
And they'd say, okay, contract's up. So then I'd fly back from Nigeria and I would be home four days. <laughs> and I'd fly back to Nigeria. And I'm thinking, why? It would be cheaper to put us up in a hotel. Well, that's not the way it works. Yeah. Government bureaucracy, right? So yeah. Put, so come home for four days, which obviously I was happy to see my wife and my family. Right. Uh, even if it was only for four days and then have to go back. Africa. And there, there was one time when I was in Nigeria and they needed me in Ghana. And uh, so I, I flew directly from Nigeria to Ghana. And uh, there were some guys, there were some guys that were kind of jealous about that one. They were like, <laughs> Do you get to fly directly to Ghana? I said, yeah. And they said, how did you swing that? And I said, I didn't swing it at all. They were the ones that said, we need you in Ghana. So I said, okay. So I went to yeah. Accra. I actually uh, I played in a in a world music band and the leader of that band was from Ghana. And he keeps saying we still talk about going to Ghana because he talks about how, again, you know, talking about that thing about how people here in America feel like, you know, there's there's no civilization when you get to Africa, you know, <laughs> things like that. And, and Ghana is like a huge city with big, beautiful buildings, according to him, and the beach, a beautiful beach and just oh, yeah. a, 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 an really awesome nice. place. Yeah. It's not and, so bad. Yeah, it's not. And, and a lot of people don't they don't they don't realize that, you know, that there's 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 other really great parts of this this uh, this world. And, and uh, it's not all just was, hidden right here. I was I was there when the day that uh, Michael Jackson passed away. And uh, so I'm walking on the street and in and in, in, in Accra, Ghana. And uh, what? Oh, Bruni. I'm an Obruni in Ghana. I'm a Muzungu. Mm -hmm. In West Africa, but I'm an old Bruni in Ghana, so okay. I don't I don't match. I I'm, I'm very obviously not Ghanaian, so, right? Right. <laughs> so all of a sudden, this guy comes walking up to me, you know, and I just heard earlier at breakfast, I think I'd heard that Michael Jackson passed away, and and this guy comes up to me and he has this concerned look on his face, and he grabs my shoulder and shakes my hand. And he goes, "I'm so sorry," and I said, "For what?" And he said, "Michael Jackson, he passed away," and I said. Yeah, that's very sad. <laughs> I was thinking, I didn't know him, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I won't be at the. Friend. I'm not going to be invited to the funeral. So, yeah, but, yeah. yeah. There's this. There's just this misconception, you know, here that everybody there, especially in particular Africa, they're just they're just all stuck in the bush and have no modern oh, conveniences yeah. or whatever. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, like my goodness, they're um like you know I had several people that were in the band with me that were from that area and every everyone i've met from 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 different african countries speaks no less than three languages most of them oh, speak yes. four five or six different exactly. languages you know exactly. uh, and that's just uh, and i'm not even talking about all the various tongues that they have within the african and different languages there but they'll speak several different dialects that b between oh, yeah. the different tribes they'll all have their own language sure. and you have to learn all of those various languages but then they'll also speak french they'll speak of course english oh, yeah. and so many different uh languages and it's just it's just funny to the to, tribal to, language and then the uh the colonial language yes uh most countries most most people speak their uh their colonial language and uh their their native language so right yeah um, let me take a quick break and hear from, you know, tell everyone about Eric Buchanan and Associates, because, you know, we have an issue where people are paying for disability insurance, whether it's through your employer, you pay for that extra insurance or you go out on your own because, you know, maybe you're a doctor or a lawyer, or, you know, something that has a 
you know, you have a high paying job and obviously you want to protect yourself if you're in a position where you can no longer do that job. So you get disability insurance. Well, if you find yourself in that position where you have this disability insurance and something happens to you and you find yourself unable to do that job and you have a legitimate claim and you file that claim with that disability insurance company and they deny that claim, then you need to call Eric Buchanan and Associates and let those guys go to work for you. Let them fight. Um, those insurance companies, let them get the claims paid out that you deserved, those premiums you've been paying for. Um, don't let them get away with it because they're going to do everything they can to, to the deny to deny legitimate claims. So call Eric Buchanan and Associates, get them on your side. Their number is 877-634-2506. That's 877-634-2506. You can also check them out online at BuchananDisability.com. That's Buchanan disability.com. Eric Buchanan and Associates. Eric Buchanan is a good friend of mine. I trust him. You should trust him too. So back to Mr. Scott Haddix, the man that's had, I think he's the only person I've interviewed that's had more jobs than me, but you've been doing some really, (laughs) really cool stuff. So sometimes being a police officer, especially you find yourself in some pretty nasty situations. And I'm talking about living conditions where there's bugs, roaches and stuff like that. You know, when you come out, you just want to take your clothes and go burn them. But, you know, you got a job to do. You have a pretty interesting situation where you were warned and you didn't listen and found yourself <laughs> in a precarious situation. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, that was uh, ag- again, that was doing uh, crack houses in Detroit. And um when, when we we take them down at the front door, we'd have our undercover guy at the front door, our UC, and um, we'd, we'd arrest him. We'd take him down. Once we, once we arrested him, once we had him cuffed, we'd take him to the back room, the back of the house, and uh, we'd, that, that's when we'd process him. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, when you know when you, you pile them up, you get, a, you get a bunch of people in handcuffs, and somebody's got to keep an eye on them. Well, that was my job. And... Uh, <laughs> So I'm I'm leaning against the doorway. I'm trying to you know get my my feeling, and, and uh, one of the guys says, "Don't lean against the doorway." And <laughs> I, I couldn't figure out why. And I bumped it with. And I have a vest on, and I bumped it, and I'm like, "It feels pretty solid." You know, I'm thinking these, <laughs> these crack houses may not be. And then then I had the. I found out the reason why I'd, I shouldn't lean up, up against the. I had a cockroach crawl in between my uh vest and me Ooh. and uh yeah so there you are you've got a uh a, an assault rifle right there in your hand and <laughs> and you you know you're trying not to you're you realize what's going on you feel something crawling there and you're not trying to jump around and stuff that would kind of make people a little unsettled to see you uh, jump yes. around with a rifle yes. in your hand so and then you know i just figured okay you know i'm gonna try and kill this roach and, you know, I'm slamming my back up. And those roaches do not die easy. So, yeah. <laughs> you got those roaches that you step on, they lift your leg off of them or lift your foot yeah. up? Yeah. <laughs> that all you got? Oh, man. Man. You've also had some pretty cool moments on the job. Some 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 things that that, you know, you're proud of um, some some some. Sometimes when you felt like you really made a difference, of course, you know, doing the training in Africa, you know, then those folks thanking you and telling you how how much they appreciate it. But tell me about an, another situation where maybe you, you know, here closer to home where you've where you've done something that you felt like really made a difference in someone's life. 
Uh, are you talking about the uh, the choking baby? Well, there it's up to you. There's the one with the choking baby. You you know you had a situation where uh, a runaway that you helped. Oh yeah, yeah the runaway. Uh, that was that was interesting. Uh, there again, I was I was kind of working. I was working f- kind of for her parents basically. Mm-hmm. Um, me and another guy. He was a, a former downriver police officer, and um, so w- there we were, Detroit. PD and and us we're in civilian clothes they're in uniform and uh, we got the same you know they're in this house mm-hmm. and she's a runaway and mm-hmm. he's she's with him and he's got priors so he's got a warrant um, so we know this is the address we know they're in there um, so the uniform guys go I'll tell you what we'll go to the front door you guys go to the back door. So we went to the back door, and, she, and when they knocked on the door, sure enough, there they came, squirting out the back door, and yeah. we nabbed him, and the boyfriend and the girl. And um, we uh, first we took her. I mean, our our orders were to take her to rehab, and the rehab we had already done. We talked to them previously. We knew exactly they were waiting for us. Uh, we, t- we checked her into rehab, and. Uh, so yeah, that felt really good that uh, that that she was able to, and then we seeing her. Uh, I think it was six or eight months later, uh, having completed rehab and uh, no longer being with that that kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that makes you feel good, you know that that uh, you were able to uh, to take because the road they were on, they were not they were you know on a, on the quick road to nowhere. And and to, to change their life, I mean, a total hundred and eighty degree change to go to rehab. Uh, yeah, you feel you feel like you're you're making, you know, did I make a difference in the world? Well, I made a difference in her world. So yes, and that's and what you want as a first responder, and and also doing all of the various assignments that you've done, and all of them have dealt dealt with helping people, communities, protecting and serving for sure. That's really what you want. You want to make a difference in somebody's life. Um, You learn early on that you can't change the world necessarily, but you can change an individual's world. And and that's what it's all about. So, Scott, before I let you go, I remember growing up and in in my younger days, I used to think being a private investigator would be the coolest thing in the world. You actually spent some time doing that, right? Yes, yes, as and and everything from domestic to insurance fraud. So yeah, yeah. What was the most uh, egregious case of insurance fraud? Maybe that you kind of were that you busted somebody on. Jeez, um, probably the guy who uh, had was filed for disability and was disabled, and you know wore his little neck collar to uh, court all the time. Uh, watching him and his brother-in-law change out his hot water heater. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not something you can do with a bad back. So right. take yeah, it be, out of the back be, of the pickup truck and bring it into the house. And Yeah. yeah. So. Yes. If you are faking a disability, do not call Eric Buchanan and Associates. Don't waste my man's time having him try to fight a claim when you're just lying through your teeth. You're, if you have a legitimate disability, you call my man Eric Buchanan. Uh, but that is it fun doing that or is it just like anything else? You know, you're just bored. You spend most of your time hiding, taking pictures, you know. That kind of well, stuff. Yeah, there's there's that. There's there's a lot of you know, when it, especially when it comes to a church fraud, there's a lot of t- taking pictures. But I remember going into court one time and the judge, you know, it was a similar disability case. And uh, 
basically private investigators would get so tired of sitting there waiting for somebody to do something, they would go and they would take the valve stem out of their tire. So you'd see a person that was on that was technically disabled and had a disability claim, and then they'd go out and, you know, they wouldn't have their collar on and they'd go out and change their tire. And that became kind of a an under, you know, people would joke about that. And this judge, I'm in the courtroom, and this judge says, while I'm in there, she says, if I see another case of somebody having to change their tire, it's on a disability. So I said, no, no, that's not the case. That's so funny. That is so funny. Well, Scott Haddix, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you sharing uh, your stories with us today. I appreciate your service, you know, your service, first of all, in both the Navy and the Army. But I don't discount your service, obviously, that you you did as a uh, contractor. I mean, those those things are just as dangerous. You're in hot places when you do things like that. So I appreciate your uh, your time there as well. And also, before we started the show, uh, I'll give you an opportunity if you want to give a shout out or just kind of talk about the situation. I stay away from politics, of course, but you have someone that you know personally that is actually kind of stuck in another right. country, you know, that that kind of got left with this this Afghanistan um, pullout. Right. He was a teacher and he worked for the U.S. government. He uh, w- basically was teaching the Afghan soldiers literacy. And um, so he like I said, he worked for the U.S. government. Has they, I mean, I've seen a copy of his uh, his uh, H.R. letter. And so he qualifies for a special immigration visa or SIV, as they call it. And uh, when the U.S. quickly pulled out of Afghanistan, he he, his wife, three sons and a daughter uh, did not have uh, uh, passports yet. So they weren't, they were, he couldn't apply for the SIV because he didn't have a passport, but they left so quickly that uh, he was kind of stuck in the lurch. Well, obviously um, being that he helped the U S military, he's got a huge target on his back yeah. and he escaped Afghanistan. He's now in Pakistan. Um, and I don't want to give too much details, Sure. But, yeah. Uh, we don't want to get him in trouble. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he's there. Um, luckily, there's two two um, NGOs that I'm working with, and that's uh, uh, Voice of Christians and uh, Lantern Rescue. And they are sending a guy, uh, I think from Lantern Rescue. They're, yeah, Lantern Rescue. They're sending a guy to verify. Well, they've verified all of his paperwork online already, but they're sending a guy face to face to meet with him. But uh, until they can get him and his family passports, um, I, I have a there's a GoFundMe page that I've set up uh, for uh, for Shakur. Uh, and uh, he just needs to get out of there. I mean, okay. he's got a huge target on his back. So, well, send me that link, the information for the GoFundMe page, if you want to share that. And I'll put it in the sure. show notes so that it, sure. anybody that wants to help, uh, you know, get him out of Pakistan, it, they can if, if the GoFundMe, if they want to use that route to help, they'll they'll feel free. You can go to my show notes and click on that. Right. And and when we get him here safely, if he wants to come on the show, he can come tell us. Let me know. and We'll get him on here and we'll we'll talk about what it was like to to be there. And during the after the pullout and what he had to go through to right. to, to get out safely, that'd be a pretty right. interesting story but thank you so much for, for sharing that if, with us as well if you haven't seen the documentary send me i would definitely watch it it's on uh it's on amazon prime but uh you can watch it uh it, i mean it's on youtube as well mm-hmm. it's, it's it's done by uh everybody's heard of uh, tim kennedy former ufc fighter and greenberry sniper 
Um, he was in it, and uh, and uh, Parmescano. He does uh, the uh, uh, Ranger. Uh, the uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the the uh, Ranger Up uh, line of clothing. He's okay. the guy who founded one of that company. And okay. uh, they they're two two of the guys, two of the twelve guys that went. They sent twelve guys, basically private contractors, but most of them special operations guys that went and tried to evacuate as many as they could. So it's it's a great documentary. I highly recommend it. So there you go. Idea. So okay. after you've caught up on all the episodes of the nine one wood podcast and you're looking for something to do before the next episodes come out, check out send me Scott Haddix. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do appreciate your time. And again, I appreciate your service and all that you've done for, for our country and, and people all around the world, essentially, you know, you've, you've helped people all across this, this great world. Um, and it's, it does not go unnoticed. You are making a difference and we thank you for that to all my listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. I appreciate you. And I ask, as I always do, please share um, these episodes with your friends, have them give it a listen. And I'd appreciate it if you haven't, yet to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate those five-star ratings. That certainly does help us a lot. If you have any information you'd like to share with me, you have any guest ideas that you'd like for me to, to pursue, or if you just have suggestions in general, you won't hurt my feelings, shoot me an email at 91what.podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, be safe and have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to 91 What? We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have comments or suggestions, please email us at 91what.podcast at gmail.com. And thanks to Carlos Bail Bonding and Eric Buchanan and Associates for making this episode possible. 